Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Hurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. That's me. Thank you for coming back again for another episode. Or if you are a newcomer and this is the first show you've ever heard or the first episode that you've uh, tried, I appreciate you uh, giving the uh, program uh, a look and or a listen rather. And uh, I hope that you'll be back for more. As usual, we start with the question of the week. And uh, for the last few weeks, haven't really had a question, but uh, this week I do. And I kind of posted it on Twitter a couple of days ago, although I didn't label it as the question of the week. But uh, it's in response to the CHL has uh, announced a couple of days ago, maybe it was yesterday. Well, basically, their response to the uh, the newest lawsuit uh, that they are facing, which uh, started with uh, Daniel Carcillo and uh, Garrett Taylor. And we, we really do have to talk about it. So let's, uh, as much as I don't think anybody really wants to talk about it, Again, at least. I mean, we've talked about it on this program a number of times over the years. So the CHL's uh, press release yesterday, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there are a couple of uh, uh, spots that I wanted to point out because they're they're the important parts. It says, that yesterday the CHL Board of Directors unanimously agreed to the appointment of an independent review panel to thoroughly review the current policies and practices in our leagues. Uh, that relate to hazing, abuse, harassment, and bullying, and the allegation that players do not feel comfortable reporting behaviors that contravene these policies. A chair of this panel will be announced in the coming weeks, and our goal is to have the review process completed in time for the start of the 2021 season. We welcome the findings of the independent review panel to ensure we are providing the safest player experience in hockey and amateur sport. We want to remind players of the training provided on player conduct and safety and encourage them to access established complaint procedures related to hazing, abuse, harassment, and bullying. The existent procedures to raise a complaint without fear of reprisal include advising your coach, your GM, the police liaison, the player liaison, or the governor, member, or league officials. So that's at the tail end of uh, the press release yesterday. So the two things that stand out to me is that... uh, well, there's going to be a, a, a review panel. So they call it independent, although it's the CHL Board of Directors unanimously agreed to the appointment of an independent review panel. If the CHL is appointing the people on the review panel, is it really independent? I don't know how that all works, so that's just a question I have. Uh, hopefully they are independent, as in not beholden to the, the CHL's Board of Directors, and they are able to work independently. I would 
I would like to think that the police uh, authorities are involved in any sort of investigations. And if there is going to be a permanent thing, like some sort of outlet uh, for not necessarily a union, but you know, a group that will that is detached from the CHL, but that players can go to, uh, I would like to think that there would be you know represent maybe parents and maybe uh, an agent or two. You know, let's say it's ten people on this uh, council or something like that, and I'm really just spitballing ideas, but you know, a police liaison couple of parents, a couple of former players, maybe a former coach, agents, and perhaps there should be one of those for each, the WHL, the OHL, and the Q, uh, so that the uh, the current players have an outlet to go to where they know it's not going to come back on them. Just a thought. But uh, that press release, so that's the question of the day, basically, is uh, what do you think of the press release? What do you think of the CHL's uh, announcement of uh, the review panel? Do you have any concerns moving forward? I just shared uh, some of mine with you. I, I, I want transparency. That's what I want. Whatever is happening, whatever they're investigating, whoever's on the panel, I want it to be public so that, quite honestly, anytime there's negative news uh, from the CHL or about the CHL, it's a black eye on the league. And there's a lot of really good things about the CHL. But every time there's uh, an incident, it tarnishes the whole league. It might only happen with one team or one particular player or something, but it's a black eye for the entire league. So if I was the CHL, I would want things to be more transparent so that it doesn't look like you're hiding things or you're being secretive. But that's just me. Now, a few days ago, I think it was Wednesday, maybe, uh, Rick Westhead from TSN had reported that uh, there was another WHL player, former WHL player, rather, who was uh, joining uh, the new class action lawsuit uh, because uh, he also endured some awful treatment back when he was uh, a rookie in the WHL. Now, initially, the name wasn't being released. Uh, the player wanted his anonymity, which obviously you have to respect. Uh, but it opened the question up to um, it wasn't being reported who the player was, who the, the guilty people were, uh, what teams this was with, even what uh, era it was. And that was the the question I had was I thought that was important to know. Not, not the who or the where, but the when, um, because it changes if it's something that happened two years ago, because let's keep in mind, in the last 15 years, the CHL has said that they have taken massive steps and put in place programs to end all of the hazing and the bullying. So when you hear, uh, and I know Carcillo's uh, experiences were in 2002 and 2003, and but since then, the CHL says they've taken, they've put all these safety measures in place uh, to root out all of this garbage. So that was my question with this uh, new story or the new incident, the new person who has come forward uh, when that happened. And the next day, so on Friday, uh, it was announced that uh, it's actually somebody who's not far from my house, actually. His name is Brad Hammett. You can see the story at TSN, Rick Westhead, uh, doing that story. He played in the WHL for uh, Billings and Nanaimo. And there'll be some people listening to this show, might be junior hockey fans who weren't even aware that Billings had a team at one point and uh, that Nanaimo was in the WHL at one point. Uh, that's because it's a long time ago. This is, um, we're talking about 1981-82 and the following season as well, uh, which doesn't make the story any less awful, uh, but it doesn't make it a current story. Current in the sense that we're hearing about it for the first time, and, and uh, Mr. Hammett is uh, speaking publicly about it for the first time. I think, I think he's speaking about it at all for the first time. 
and I'm not trying to downplay that at all. Uh, in fact, I traded messages with him yesterday because I wanted to acknowledge how can't, I can't fathom having gone through that and then having to uh, bury that for 40 years and live with it. Uh, so I just I sent him that message and uh, and he replied. But the point I'm making is it happened in 35 years ago. I don't know that anybody in the WHL then is still in the WHL, for instance. Um, now, it was noted in uh, Rick Westhead's uh, initial story where uh, before uh, Mr. Hammett had uh, linked his name to it, that the guilty parties, and I believe it's uh, four players, four teammates, uh, he said some of them are still in prominent positions in hockey. Now, I'm not going to play uh, Batman and uh, be the uh, the great detective on this, but you can look at the rosters for the Billings Bighorns and uh, Nanaimo uh, from 82 to 83, and there's not a whole lot of players who are on both teams, uh, and he said it did, did carry over from one year to the next. Uh, I didn't recognize any of the names. Now, there is one player on that team, on both of those teams, who is in the WHL as a head coach GM, uh, but he's the same age as Hammett, which that doesn't mean it's not possible, but you would have to think that it's uh, an older player who would be picking on the rookies and not a fellow rookie. But I wasn't there, and I don't know, So, and I'm not going to uh, mention that person's name. You can figure it out yourself uh, just by looking at the rosters. But investigation underway uh, is my understanding, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, speaking of Dan Carcillo, I did have a bit of an exchange with him uh, last weekend on uh, Father's Day, actually. Uh, on Twitter as, uh, and, and I wouldn't say it's heated or anything like that. I would just say we had a disagreement. Uh, I think we're on the same side of the argument. I think we are at least, but maybe just the, his solution and my solution. Not that I necessarily have a solution, but, uh, and I mentioned it last week on the show. I, and I guess, man, I, I guess I can just say it again, is that I, I think hazing is ridiculous and stupid. And uh, all the things we've talked about on this show repeatedly there's no place in the world for hazing, not just in sports, but in, in general. And I think the guilty parties should be punished. And I think the guilty parties in Daniel's case are the, the players who carried out the, the hazing. Uh, and as he mentioned uh, along the way, that uh, the head coach in Sarnia back in 2002. Those are the people who are guilty of the, the gross misconduct uh, inflicted not just on Daniel Carcillo, but now there's been three or four teammates including Danny Fritchie and Ryan Muntz, who have also uh, confirmed uh, Carcillo's claims. So there's no denying that it happened. But what I had said to uh, Daniel on Twitter was that I didn't understand the concept of suing the entire CHL, 60 teams in the league, uh, for what happened to him in Sarnia. So that part I didn't get. Uh, but he said I was part of the problem and that I was trying to discredit the victims. And everybody's entitled to their opinion. I disagree with that. I don't believe that I'm trying to discredit anybody's uh, account of what happened. Uh, in fact, and I'm not, I'm certainly not shying away from talking about it. I've talked to David Branch about it. I've talked to Gilles Courteau about it and other uh, commissioners. In fact, we did this last summer. I think it was through June. Uh, I think it was mostly in July, actually, after the draft, uh, where I spent that entire month talking with the commissioners from various leagues about their leagues and and halfway through well a couple of weeks into that that series of shows uh, the news from uh, the Sherbrooke Phoenix uh, came out and if you don't remember what I'm talking about there Yaroslav Alexiev who played in uh, Sherbrooke uh, for two seasons 
in uh, 2016, 17, and the following year, 2017, uh, 2018. He gave uh, an interview in Russia uh, that was uh, then translated, and in that interview, he had described hazing incidents for the rookies of that team, uh, which were definitely uh, criminal in nature and sexual assault. And so I wanted to bring that up with uh, Gilles Courteau. Now, I had spoken with a couple of commissioners to that point, uh, before that story broke, uh, Ron Robison was one of them, so I wasn't able to ask him about that, about hazing in general. Uh, but I did ask Jill Corteau, and I did ask uh, David Branch, uh, and then another uh, commissioner uh, from one of the junior A-leagues. Uh, but here's the clip from last year where I uh, played you that chunk of the conversation with uh, Gilles Corteau. Uh, Gilles Corteau, the commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, my guest. Not everything that's in the news is always positive, and uh, there have been a couple of things here uh, as of recently that uh, are on the other side of the ledger, put it that way. Um, there was a hazing allegation uh, put forth by Yaroslav Alexiev uh, from his tenure in uh, Sherbrooke, his rookie season back in 2016-17. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details of what he alleged happened, but uh, certainly uh, does not uh, reflect well on uh, what was happening in Sherbrooke that year. What's the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's response to incidents like that, and specifically that one? I'm assuming there's some sort of investigation going on. Well, you know, the uh, the week uh, following the uh, public announcement or public article that came out, uh, I've put, uh, you know, uh, an investigation in place through independent people, uh, lawyers and uh, private investigation company that they're working on it right now. Uh, they are doing uh, interviews with uh, players uh, and everything, and they'll get back to me with uh, a final report and some recommendation. Eventually, some something has to be done. There has to be some sort of uh, penalty for something like that. But who pays the price? Is that something that the 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 owner of the team would have to face, or the the, the GM, or the the head coach, or individual players? Uh, how do you look at at uh, penalizing uh, somebody like that? If uh, for the uh, for the uh, penalty or for the uh, sanctioning, if there is any, that's going to come from uh, the uh, report I'm going to get from the investigation and from the recommendation I'm uh, I'm going to get as well, and uh, from there I'm going to make the proper decision. Okay. And uh, if we have to uh, sanction someone, we will sanction the appropriate person. I assume there is a league policy against hazing, and I wouldn't say that's just a, a Quebec Major Junior Hockey League thing. I would assume at least all three leagues in the in the CHL would have something. Uh, what do you do to, to make sure this never happens? Well, it's uh, we have a rule in place, uh, and this rule has been in place for the last 15 years. Uh, there, uh, hazing is not permitted in the uh, KMGHL, and uh, I agree with you that that's the same across the CHL. Same thing in the Ontario, same thing in the West. I don't know when exactly that hazing rule has been put in place in each league, but in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, uh, we we have this rule for over 15 years uh, in place in uh, in our league. So we're very satisfied. Um, you know, we've not heard anything uh, major other than what happened. Uh, what could have happened in Sherbrooke uh, through a media article, uh, through an interview that the media uh, person did with uh, one of the uh, Sherbrooke former players. So we'll see uh, what's going to be the end of it. There you go. That was Gilles Courteau. Now, I'm following that up. Uh, this year, after earlier this week, I had uh, 
texted and emailed Mr. Corto. I wanted a follow-up uh, to hear what the result of that investigation was. I did a Google search, and I did find that uh, there was a press release from the Phoenix that said uh, Jocelyn Thibault, the uh, GM of the Phoenix. Now, the release is dated uh, June 16th, so again, right after the, the news came out, so immediately uh, Thibault started contacting uh, people who would be in the know. Says I contacted several players on the team at the time, including Yaroslav Alexiev, to get the facts about this situation, which was reported this morning. So same day, basically. He says all have assured me that several facts proved to be inaccurate. Besides, Alexiev confirmed that he had been badly cited uh, by the journalist and that it was a bad translation. Uh, but he goes on to say that they were uh, going to again internal investigation, which uh, you know read into that what you will, but. But so I, I had emailed uh, Mr. Corteau, uh, and here's the questions that I uh, sent Mr. Corteau. I said, uh, internal investigation, so no authorities involved to investigate. Why not have the police involved since the allegations were pretty bad? Uh, and I wanted to confirm that Alexiev uh, was asked and said that he was misquoted, and so that none of what was reported uh, was accurate. And I, I, the last question I had was that if there was any sort of uh, discipline handed out, uh, what would that have been for what happened at this uh, this team party. Uh, Mr. Corto forwarded that uh, list of questions to uh, the Phoenix, and uh, Maxime Blouin replied and sent me another uh, press release that I hadn't seen, uh, which has a little bit more detail. And this release is in uh, the middle of November. And it's the result of uh, an investigation by the league. A couple of gentlemen from out east, uh, one a lawyer, one a former uh, police... Uh, officer. Uh, they were hired to investigate the incident as well, and they came back and confirmed the initial report that what was uh, in the Russian story wasn't necessarily accurate. The press release uh, from November uh, goes on to say, even if hazing rituals are strictly prohibited by the queue, some activities that can be qualified as hazing were organized by Sherbrooke Phoenix players and have occurred the past two years, but no incidents have been reported. Nevertheless, the report does bring forth key learnings for the Phoenix organization and the other 17 teams. Some guidelines were given to the players by team officials before the two events, but stricter rules are deemed necessary. Insufficient supervision was clearly a point raised by the final report and must be improved in the future. So, reading between the lines, sounds like it's a team party, so a bunch of players getting together, probably no coaches or probably no people or representatives from the team from the organization are at this party and things get out of hand but apparently not to the extreme that was initially reported in the russian story maybe the release goes on to say moreover the report puts clear recommendations following activities will not be tolerated by the quebec major junior hockey league and its teams abuse of alcohol drinking by players that are legal age so if you're in the states it's 21, I believe, everywhere you go. In Canada, it's a little bit different. Uh, each province is able to set their own drinking age. In most places, it's 19, but in three provinces, it's 18. Alberta, where I live, it's 18. So is Manitoba. So is Quebec, which is where Sherbrooke is. Everywhere else in Canada, it's 19. Not 21 like the States, but anyway. But I think that's key to keep in mind, especially if you're from out of the country and listening to this, because you might think if you're living in the States and you hear junior hockey where you're thinking they're kids and they're, that there is no alcohol at parties. Well, that would be incorrect because there's a lot of 18, 19, and 20-year-old players on junior hockey teams. They're all legal age to drink, which means there's going to be alcohol at team parties. That's 
just the way it is. But obviously, underage drinking is against the law. But if you're an organization, how do you police that unless you have somebody from the organization attending these parties? And I think we can all agree that that's not going to be possible all the time. That would be like having a parent always at you know your high school parties. It's not going to happen. And we also talked last week about uh, Eric Guest, who, with the Kitchener Rangers, while he was a rookie, was pulled into a bathroom uh, by a veteran player, he and another rookie, uh, and were forced to do cocaine. And he talked about that on uh, social media. Uh, I did reach out to Eric and uh, see if he could uh, come on the show to discuss uh, his perspective on uh, hazing. Uh, I didn't get a reply, though, which, if there is an ongoing investigation, I'm sure uh, he's probably not supposed to be talking so i would understand that if he if that's why he didn't reply Uh, but i said last week that i would uh try to line that up and i did Uh, but again team party and i'm not trying to discredit the the players in any way i totally believe these things happen but moving forward how do we eliminate them from happening how do we prevent them from happening it's not the rookie's fault it's the people who are doing it it's their fault but how do you get them to stop and i think for the most part I personally believe that they're fairly isolated cases. I could be wrong, and if I am, then maybe that's where the independent counsel comes in. But again, it's got to be independent. It's got to provide a safe place, if you will, for the players to go to, where they know there's not going to be blowback on them. And yet, at the same time, it can't be an avenue for a disgruntled player who isn't happy he's getting enough ice time to go and say, my coach is uh, bullying me. Uh, and then there's an investigation needlessly for that. So there's there's got to be some sort of checks and measures on that too, but we've got to find a way to make sure that hazing doesn't happen. I don't have all the answers, but it's a conversation that still needs to happen. I did say I was going to share the audio from uh, last summer when I uh, spoke with uh, David Branch about uh, hazing as well. Uh, here's that clip. David Branch, the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, all right, we've had a couple of softballs to start things up, but uh, let's get into a, a lot more of a, a serious one. Uh, hazing is back in the news. And a while back, Dan Carcillo talked about his experiences in your league in the early 2000s. I think Akeem Alou had uh, some things to say in that regard as well. Now an allegation in the queue made by Yaroslav Alexiev during his rookie season in Sherbrooke uh, three years ago. I'm sure you would agree that hazing is wrong, and I know all three leagues have a policy stating so, but clearly a policy hasn't been enough. In your opinion, who should be held accountable uh, in a situation like that? Is it ownership or coaches or individual players? And to what degree should that punishment be so that it's a deterrent uh, that it will never happen again? Because this it's just a, it's a black eye for the CHL when things like this come out. Yeah, I, uh, there is zero tolerance. Uh, we all understand how offensive it is. Uh, it has no place in our game. I mean, as we were drilling down in this area as a league, and I'm talking about the Ontario Hockey League going back several years ago, I mean, we saw that the players don't want it. Uh, it's a, It was a real, real concern to families to see their son go away and, and possibly be subjected to some form of hazing. Uh, I think we recognize that, you know, there is value and even a degree of importance that there is some form of process to allow a young person to become uh, a member of a team, but it cannot in any way, uh, you know, be offensive to that player uh, physically or otherwise. So 
There is zero tolerance. I mean, uh, you know, you you can't really put the blame at the on the on the players. Uh, it has to start with management uh, of the team, even ownership. Um, what we've seen going back several years ago was the challenge to break the cycle, where you know some of the coaches or managers uh, who had played in our league said, "Well." I had to do it. You know, we went through it. We survived, et cetera. You know what? That, that's old school. Uh, that doesn't work uh, with uh, the values that we now have in place. And, and I really, truly believe we have broken the cycle uh, per se. And uh, we, we just can't let our foot off the gas pedal here. We must continue to push forward and make sure that there's a complete understanding uh, and educate our players as well, uh, because sometimes players will get together and there is no coach or manager or team official around. But, hey, we've got to make sure they understand there has to be ownership uh, of this from top to bottom. When there is a penalty to be paid, I'm sure there's uh, each circumstance is, is different. But do you know what the penalty is? I, I mean, some of these charges could be cr- actually criminal, couldn't they? Well, it could very well be, yes. And, and I mean, I've always been an advocate that, you know what, uh, while we like to think we can handle discipline and uh, other duties around that, uh, I'm not in any way uh, concerned if someone should go outside our structure and, and seek some remedy in their mind through the, through the courts, as an example. But... Uh, uh, it's just a case of education, making sure we have the right sanctions in place and demonstrate to the players, to the families in particular, that this is uh, not tolerated and we have zero tolerance. So that was David Branch. Uh, so I did speak with the uh, commission for the OHL and the Q about hazing. Uh, now, again, I had spoken with Ron Robinson uh, for that series uh, before that news uh, came out. So we didn't touch on that with him. Uh, but I did ask uh, Kim Davis, who at the time was the commissioner for the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. He has uh, since uh, stepped down and is going to be replaced by uh, Kevin Sorette. That is uh, officially about to happen here uh, on uh, July 1st. Uh, but just to get the uh, Junior A perspective, and actually I really liked what happens in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. Uh, but here is uh, Kim Davis telling you about that. Kim Davis is the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, speaking of the uh, the uh, Major Junior Loop, um, some news out in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League about a, a hazing incident a couple of years ago, and there's been occasionally uh, that has uh, sprung up uh, in uh, different sports as well, and I think in this day and age, I think everybody is on, on the same page that hazing is, there's no place for it anymore. I know your league had an incident back in 2011 that you had to deal with, uh, what's the league's policy when it comes to hazing now? I know when you you uh, uh, find, uh, I believe it was like five grand or something like that, and uh, a bunch of suspensions that were handed out. Um, looking back on it now and, and moving forward and how that establishes sort of a league policy, what is the policy if, if something like that were to happen again? Um, you know, our policy is, you know, essentially a, a zero tolerance policy. Um, and, and that's very much in keeping with, uh, you know, the Hockey Canada uh, regulation regarding uh, this type of activity, uh, which is which is basically the same. I mean, there is a zero tolerance for it. And, and you know, if there are um, um, 
uh, incidents that that uh, that go against the regulation and, and the policy that the league has, then then you know there's severe sanctions that that uh, that could result. And um, you know, so so that's and we we've made that very very clear to each of the teams right from the outset of this the most recent incident that you talked about, which is obviously quite some time ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that. Uh, on a on a practical uh, basis, we um, since uh, since 2011, we've uh, implemented a um, a, um, a program whereby um, um, we we source materials from the Red Cross, who are who are very skilled in in uh, uh, communicating the, um, uh, the the pitfalls of, of that type of activity that that typically sports teams engage in, and so each team in our league is required to uh, present those materials to their team, their roster, uh, annually um, during the preseason. And uh, further to that, and, and there's probably um, there's two or three different methods they can do it. They can do it either through a PowerPoint presentation or, or just have an in-person meeting with their, with their players. Obviously, you know, the, the PowerPoint would be in person as well, but um, it, it's very clear that they're supposed to, um, Present that material to their to their players and and emphasize the zero tolerance and the, the serious repercussions that could happen. And then, in addition to that, the the head coach and the governor of the team are required to sign an affidavit uh, stating the date and the time that they held the meeting and that the players were duly informed. And then that that affidavit is uh, stored with the league office uh, annually. And so. We've had full compliance from uh, each of our teams every year since uh, since 2011, and obviously, you know, when we when those types of incidents occur, uh, sometimes they they you know uh, they sneak up on you in the sense that you know I think organizations and, and we were guilty of it. We got complacent, and uh, but but we're not complacent any longer, and you and you need to just stay on top of it, you know, and. I, I don't know a whole lot about the the, uh, the Quebec uh, incident that you discussed. I, I heard just very very briefly about it, but mm. and and I don't want to presuppose or, or stick my neck in anywhere where it doesn't belong. But but um, you know I, I think again it's the type of thing that if you get complacent you can you can run into trouble and 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 you just can't afford to do that. All right, that was Kim Davis from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. All right, this segment uh, this opening segment. Much bigger one than I had uh, expected it was going to be. In fact, I could have made this a segment of its own. But uh, there's going to be two guests on the program today. They're both going to join me via the Troubled Monk Hotline. Tap rooms back open in Red Deer. You can also get same-day free delivery. Spend 50 bucks on your order, and they'll uh, deliver it right to your door. That's only in Alberta. Get your order in by 1 p.m. if you want to get it same day. Otherwise, you'll get it the next day. Uh, and the website still says Red Deer, Edmonton, St. Albert, Sherwood Park, in Calgary for home delivery right to your door but a little bird has told me that's going to be expanded stay tuned for that craft beverages worth sharing that's troubled monk for sure check out troubledmonk.com for all the details and all the different brew selections that you have to pick from the two guests you're going to hear from today we're going to start with uh, evan dom from canada west uh, mentioned last week uh, that the university of alberta has shut down a number of sports for this coming season including men's hockey and boy when you come to uh when you think of U Sports Hockey, it's hard not to think of the University of Alberta Golden Bears, that program, the most successful in U Sports, uh, not going to be on the ice this coming season. So I uh, tracked down Evan uh, to talk about that 
as he's got a, a long history. He and his uh, his family. His dad was a longtime coach uh, with the Golden Bears, very successful. Rob Dom. Uh, so we'll chat about that with Evan. And the other guest this week is a guest in the 2020 draft spotlight, uh, also in the dub segment. Damon Hunt, defenseman with the Moose Jaw Warriors, guy who's pegged by pretty much everybody to go somewhere in the second round. Uh, we'll get to know him a lot better on today's episode as well. So all of that coming up. Quick thank you to everybody who's uh, signed up to uh, be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show in these uh, very tough days. Listen, nobody's advertising, so uh, sponsorship money uh, for the show is, uh, I'll be honest, it's nil. Uh, the only money that this show is bringing in right now is uh, via listeners uh, who sign up to be a patron. And what you get for that, you get early access uh, to all the interviews that you hear uh, on each episode of the show. So that conversation with Evan Dom and the one with Damon Hunt, they were back done back on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. Uh, so they've been up on the Patreon page uh, for three days now where patrons and uh, listeners like you uh, have been able to take advantage of that and hear those full interviews uh, before this episode has been put together. So uh, if that's an, of interest to you, it's all done securely through Patreon and PayPal. Uh, I don't see your credit card or anything like that. A couple bucks a month is all it costs, and I really, really, really appreciate the ongoing support. It means a lot to me that uh, you find value in the show. Speaking of which, let's kick it off when we come back. Evan Dom from Canada West, he'll join me. Here on the Pipeline Show. And now it's a two-on-zero. Mishak and Shirk. Jan Mishak. Patrick goal. Hello, I'm Jan Mishak of Hamilton Bulldogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. It's one of my favorites, the Daycation Lager. To tell us more, here's Bud from Troubled Monk. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk is shoveled. A Mexican lager for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. The one beer you need while you put your feet up or get up and move. It's a little getaway every day. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. All right, this is The Pipeline Show, and uh, my name is Guy Flaming. We're going to have a, a U-Sport update segment now, and uh, not a great uh, update for U-Sports. Uh, in fact, uh, terrible news uh, for uh, for Canada West and for U-Sport in general. And it's not just a hockey story, but this is a hockey show, so we'll, we'll focus on the hockey part. But... Uh, uh, to get an update on uh, what's happening and clarification, let's bring in Evan Dom from Canada West. Uh, Evan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing well, Guy. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, let's let's just get right into it. Uh, the the news uh, last week uh, not good. Uh, the University of Alberta following suit with uh, Lethbridge uh, and uh, not just hockey, but uh, men's hockey and uh, women's hockey, a bunch of other sports as well. Well, maybe you explain it to the audience what's happened, but uh, no hockey this year. Yeah, so a little bit different between those two programs. Guy, you know, with respect to Lethbridge, obviously they made the announcement a couple of months ago that they were opting to cut their men's and women's hockey programs and, and no longer sustain those. Um, there's been some developments on that front, but we can get to that later. With respect to Alberta, they made the decision not to declare um, in several sports, including men's and women's hockey, for the upcoming season. So 
there's a little bit of nuance there with respect to uh, sort of the protocols and the policies around that. So uh, Lethbridge, the, the soonest they could come back would be after a two-year hiatus, so the, the fall of 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Alberta, with the with their decision and the, the timing of that, they, they'll be able to come back for the 21-22 season, so just a one-season gap uh, for them if that uh, is you know how things end up playing out. All right, and I don't know if you can answer this, but the the big question obviously is why? What's happened uh, to to well? And as you said, it's different scenarios for Lethbridge and and the University of Alberta. But what's happening? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, the COVID nineteen pandemic has significantly impacted all of our members, whether it be in the, the sport of hockey or other sports. It's really dried up a lot of their fundraising. Um, obviously, there's there's limited golf tournaments going on. You know, dinners aren't being staged. Uh, people who are, are donors have, have lost jobs or their businesses are hurting, so there's not as much uh, money there to go around, certainly. Um, the other thing that has really impacted has been the athletic rec fees. Um, obviously, without students on campus through the spring and summer here and into the fall, the, the vast majority of our schools are in a significantly limited capacity. They're not gathering those fees, so that really hurts. Um, and then the other the other component has been... Um, continuing cuts to post-secondary institutions across Western Canada, not just in Alberta, but across other provinces as well. Um, so obviously they're feeling the pinch from some provincial funding uh, that impacts not only the athletics program, but, you know, the institution as a whole. And there's a trickle down when a, an institution gets a budget cut that generally everybody's expected to, to play their part, so to speak. And uh, that has certainly been the case with, uh, with our athletic programs across Western Canada. Evan Dom from uh, from Canada West Communications and Marketing Guy for Canada West is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Evan, uh, okay, so what happens now moving forward with the the players for both of those programs? Are they with Alberta? They're allowed to come back after this coming season. So, do those players are they allowed to transfer to a different school and then come back, or would they transfer and and probably stay with the the schools that they they played at? How does it work for the players and for the coaches as far as that goes? Yeah, so the short answer with respect to Alberta's players is uh, that's still to be determined. Uh, there's, this is this is uncharted waters, Guy, um, and there's never been a scenario where a school has basically said we want to take a one-year pause and we'll be back. So that's being worked through at the uh, at the U Sports level where all of the eligibility issues are handled. So uh, whether a player from U of A is able to transfer to another school and, and play this season um, is still to be determined. Um, with respect to Lethbridge, they've already had a number of players transfer to other programs, uh, both in Canada West and uh, across the rest of the country. So, um, again, it's that nuance where you don't declare or you cut a program and what it means for your athletes. Um, I would anticipate that uh, the eligibility committee would um, would look favorably on athletes who choose to, uh, to relocate given the circumstances, but that speculation at this time, it's still being worked through. But always try and think of the student-athlete at the core of, of what we do. Um, and then there obviously will be some some recruits and, and existing players who might opt to go play professionally. Um, there's guys who have that opportunity, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that's the case for some of them. Uh, now, not your, not, it's not a um, a U Sport or a Canada West situation with the WHL scholarship, but I wonder if at a time like this, if if that might be extended slightly for those players who do maybe uh, go play another an extra year of pro that normally would invalidate their uh, their scholarship if they were out uh, longer than the, uh, the the six months or the 18 months. Um, I, I don't know if, if you've had any discussions with uh, the WHL about that, how that might work. 
Yeah, no specific, no specifics on that, Guy, at this time. Obviously, this is still pretty fresh with respect to the announcement coming out last week from the University of Alberta. So yeah. I'm nothing concrete to share on that, but I'm sure those conversations will be had uh, in the not-too-distant future to, to, again, make sure that uh, we're doing as much as we can for the student-athlete. Is there any concern that this is just the tip of the iceberg? Uh, I, I, what is, what's the situation for the rest of the members of Canada West? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody's in uh, a difficult position in terms of uh, the, their different funding avenues. Um, you know, I, I don't think we wouldn't be shocked if there were other schools who uh, decided to take a, a one-year sort of leave. But at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if it was our full uh, our full membership as well. There's just so many different moving parts, and there's so much up in the air still, and it seems like everything is shifting on a 24- or a 48-hour uh, news cycle. So, um, you know, it's, there's a possibility that it will happen, uh, but it's not a guarantee. I will say this, if, if we're able to compete January 1st, given all the health protocols and, and those type of things, we will have a league and we will crown a Canada West champion. Um, so it's not a case where, you know, us in the league office, uh, hearing from members that we're scared we're not going to have enough hockey teams to have competition. Uh, I, I don't foresee a scenario in which that occurs. Um, that would be surprising. I know south of the border, there's there's a lot of people talking about will there even be NCAA sports at all if if students aren't aren't coming back to campus and and uh, you know could be playing in front of in, in empty buildings and things like that. Is it is it similar right now for for you uh, sports as well? Similar situation. I know you alluded to January. I know things have kind of been wiped out for the fall until take a wait and see sort of approach. And fingers crossed that things are are able to get back to go in January. But is there some concern that uh, the, the whole season might be gone? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of concern there, Guy. I mean, just as somebody who's obviously navigating COVID-19 as just a member of society, I think there's concern uh, around how spikes might present themselves just generally. So mm. it's definitely going to come down to being a health and safety concern, and the decision's going to be grounded in science and the expertise of medical professionals, including, you know, chief medical officers from the four provinces who uh, who ultimately are really going to be the ones who decide how we live our lives. So uh, that decision will be made no later than October 8th. Okay. Um, you know, I'm obviously trying to stay optimistic, but there is, the, there is a scenario in which we don't compete at all during the 2021 season. All right, Devin Dom, my guest. Uh, Evan, uh, is this only so far happening in Canada West or some of the other conferences also dealing with this? I haven't heard if there's been other uh, programs that have opted to shut down for the year yeah that's been the only the only one so far uh across across the country has been the announcement by alberta um you know with respect to where we're at with our seasons we're all aligned across the country with the three hockey conferences with the aus oua and canada west that there'll be no competition until january so we're we're aligned on that front and working closely with U sports on planning for the, the university cup if we should be able to get to that point but with respect to programs pushing the pause button uh nothing other than alberta to this point so far and uh obviously the, the lethbridge news that came out earlier in the spring well let's hope that everything gets back to normal at least for january and, and everybody can compete and as you mentioned a, a canada west uh, champion is, is crowned but if that happens and there is no u of a golden bear hockey program how big of a – I mean, that's got to feel weird. I mean, you've got a history with the with the program. I did some um, broadcasting for the Golden Bears uh, once upon a time. It's it's the the marquee. It is the uh, the gold standard when it comes to uh, U-sport hockey. Uh, and to not have that program active, uh, boy, that would feel pretty weird. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, 
personally, it was it was just a sad day when that news came out, Guy, because that program's meant obviously a lot to uh, to myself and, and to my family, and and it's an important part of our league. And you know, certainly that the program that they've built there over decades and decades of excellence has um, really enhanced Canada West hockey and youth sports hockey as a whole, frankly, across the country. So when you don't have that team of being part of your competition, if if we are able to proceed, that's obviously really disappointing. And you know. You know, pick a premier team in any league. Pick the New York Yankees um, or, or whatever team you want to pick in Major League Baseball who's, who's become sort of a perennial power. It's like playing baseball without the New York Yankees. It just doesn't have the same sort of feel. And, you know, everybody looks forward to that Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, and a lot of people in, in Western Canada look forward to that, you know, Alberta-Saskatchewan rivalry. I would I would liken those two programs to those two teams we're talking about uh, Major League Baseball analogy. And, um, it would be weird if you never saw the Red Sox and Yankees play over the course of the season. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we are lucky enough to play, it's going to be weird. There's no question. Uh, lastly, what's next? What uh, What's the next step in all of this? Or is it really just wait and see? Yeah, unfortunately, it really is just wait and see. Uh, you know, we're going to be, like I mentioned, that October 8th deadline earlier. That's, that's sort of the drop dead. That's when we'll have an announcement. Uh, there's the possibility that we make a decision on, whether or not we'll proceed in January earlier than that. Um, but that would be the the last sort of moment that we would uh, make that call. And it, it is entirely going to come down to how things play out here across the four provinces over the next several months. Um, hopefully we're able to, to see sort of a decrease in the number of cases and, and uh, you know, positive signs. Uh, so I, I hope everybody out there is crossing their fingers and uh, doing their part to make sure that uh, we give that opportunity to, to not only student-athletes, but just to, to society as a whole, that we can uh, resume some semblance of normalcy here. Absolutely. Well said, Evan. I appreciate your time today. Uh, uh, hopefully we get back to normal here sooner as opposed to later. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Guy. Anytime. Evan Dom from Canada West, and uh, definitely a loss for you sports uh, not to have the University of Alberta Golden Bears program on the ice uh, this coming season. Uh, but so far... Uh, outside of Lethbridge permanently uh, ending their uh, their hockey team and a few other sports. It looks like Alberta, at this point, the only team so far that has pulled the plug on the coming year. That could change, though, as things you know unfold uh, and uh, sports has been pushed back to December or January already. Things don't get better, then uh, maybe everybody will uh, not be playing this coming season. Only time will tell. Hopefully that's not the case. Okay, up next, we've got a 2020 draft spotlight segment. A player had a really horrendous injury this year, managed to get into 28 games, and he's still ranked in the second round. That tells you how valuable and how good Damon Hunt is, a defenseman with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Let's get to know him when we come back. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming. Hey, it's Jake Neighbors from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away. Backhander scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Gamer's backhander on the rush. It's 4-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Hi, I'm Sarah from Arcan Trailer and RV. We know many lives have been altered and plans have changed, but something that hasn't changed is everyone's desire to make new memories with their families. Arcan wants to help you go camping this summer and we'd like to make your payments for you. This isn't a deferral. We'll make your payments all summer long. Or if you currently have an RV but need a new one, trade it in and we'll make your payments too. It's on us. 
Visit ourcanrv.com for details and start planning your best trip ever. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. This is The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And the final segment of uh, today's episode, we're going to have a 2020 draft spotlight. Talk to another player who is draft eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, whenever that's going to be. In fact, it would have been this weekend. uh, But we all know why that's not happening right now. The uh, draft lottery is about to get going. Uh, but uh, we don't know when the actual draft is going to be held, and I, I imagine for uh, all players like my next guest, uh, that uh, it seems like it uh, could take forever before we uh, finally get this draft underway. But let's ask somebody who's in that position. Damon Hunt from the Moose Jaw Warriors is my guest. Uh, Damon, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate getting a chance to speak with you today, and, and I w- maybe we'll start there just with the, the uncertainty of when the draft is going to be held. We know it will eventually come around, but and wouldn't it be nice to know uh, when you can finally cross that finish line? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy right now, everything going on, but uh, you know, I'm trying to keep my patience uh, you know, with me and uh, just kind of you know, going day by day, just kind of see what happens with the lottery, and then uh, we'll, yeah, we'll just kind of move on from there what have the last three months been like for you uh just on a on a personal level like what's what's day-to-day life been like uh, for you yeah it's been uh it's been a lot different just coming home from the season you know really disappointed with uh, the way things ended there but uh honestly it's just kind of you know been pretty low-key not doing too much and then uh you know i started on my training and you know i've been going to the gym and you know working with all the guys and my trainer so it's nice that the gyms are finally opening here in Manitoba, so uh, things are going really good right now. Where were you and the Warriors uh, when the season was shut down? We were we were in the dressing room at home, and it was I think the day after practice, um, and we all came in, and you know the coach and the GM, you know, all said that you know the season might be getting canceled. So you know it was it was really crazy because you know we've never experienced anything like that, and um, and we actually got sent home. To, the, the day after so it was a really quick turnaround that's for sure uh, no kidding about that um all right well we know how the season was going for the warriors i mean if we would have got to the the playoffs warriors wouldn't have been involved anyway but you're not having a chance for the u18s were you still uh, eligible to go play at the u18s yeah yeah i think i was um i was all healthy from my injury previously during the year but um you know i did get you know, some calls from some guys saying that, you know, I probably would be able to get invited. Yeah. Um, I did go actually to the U18s uh, last year in underage. Right. Which was, uh, you know, really, really awesome over in Sweden and Finland. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was just too bad. Everything just got shut down. Yeah, and not having that showcase event, uh, especially considering how much time you missed this year with injury. We'll talk about that in a bit, but uh, not having, I mean, there were guys who would have had the playoffs to be able to still showcase and, and uh, impress the scouts, and for others, it would have been the U18, and that's such a big tournament. Not having that must be must have been bad. Yeah, especially for me. I only got to play, I don't know, around 25 games this year, and you know, once the season got shut down, my hopes were to go to the U18 to you know, showcase myself a little bit more because mm-hmm. I barely played this year. And, um, it, it's honestly just extremely disappointing you know with the draft year and you know especially this year I graduated and I barely got to graduate with a graduation this year so um of course you know what happens right now during you know the, one of the biggest parts in, in my life right now so um yeah but you know it's out of my control and you just kind of make the best 
the best out of it. No draft combine or anything like that this year, but I know NHL teams have been doing a ton of interviews with players uh, online uh, with Zoom or Skype or whatever. Uh, have you had a, a number of those as well? Yeah, I've had, honestly, probably 20-plus meetings with teams. Um, it's been great. It's definitely a bit different, but mm-hmm. um, at the same time, it's you know I'm just enjoying the process and meeting all you know these these big names in the National Hockey League and the scouts and the GM. So it's it's definitely special. Damon Hunt of the Moose Jaw Warriors is my guest here on the Pipeline Show in the 2020 Draft Spotlight uh, segment. Uh, take me back to that injury. It happened here in Edmonton, but it happened so quickly. Uh, those of us who were in attendance. Didn't actually know what, notice really what happened. We saw you go off the ice really quick, uh, and then you didn't come back, and then you were out for an extended period of time. Take us back to that uh, that mm-hmm. incident. Uh, what exactly happened? Yeah, it was on December 3rd in Edmonton against the Old Kings, and pretty much it was just, you know, really quick. Nothing really happened, but I had the puck along the wall. Um, I was right by my bench, and the floor checker came in to hit me, and I just took the puck, and he kind of missed me and stumbled, and he got me, well, I guess his, his skate blade got me right on the forearm and my right forearm. forearm and uh, I didn't really know what happened at the time. I just kind of, you know, skated up a little bit. And then I looked down and we were wearing our white uniforms and there was blood just coming out of my arm all, all over the ice and the uniforms. And that's when, you know, I just kind of, you know, what's going on. I didn't know how bad the cut was. So I just, I was right by the bench. And honestly, no one really noticed what happened to me. And, I just ran off with my trainer. My trainer came over and grabbed the towel, and we ran to the Oil King's room, and we got to the doctor, and they they stitched me up. I don't know a couple a couple stitches just to hold me together to get me to the hospital, hmm. and that's when they had more stitches put in before my surgery. Yeah, and it, like you said, right at the bench. So I guess that's kind of a blessing where it happened yeah. on the ice because you were able to get attention right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said you went to the Oil King's room. And uh, I, I think Brian Cheeseman from the Oil Kings also darted to, in to help as well, too, right? So you had, uh, you had lots of people right there. to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are so yeah. how, how many stitches did you actually get when it was all said and done? Well, I think the fourth surgery was 25. Wow. And during surgery, well, they had to repair my muscle because I got cut right in half, and then they had to close me up. So they didn't give me a number, but I'm thinking it's, it's, it's up there. Oh wow, that that's a gruesome sounding injury. Did it? When once you got to the dressing room yeah. and there, well, you know, get your jersey off and your equipment off, and did you did you get a look at it, or were you like, uh, I don't want to look at this, or uh, what what was it like? Yeah, when when they started taking the equipment off me, um, I lay down on the bed and I didn't want to look at it honestly because I was I was seeing their reactions in their faces. Oh. I know you know their job's not to you know be too you know like emotionally attached to, to these injuries but i knew that something you know wasn't good down there but right before they were going to put stitches in um i just took a quick peek at it and it was pretty bad just seeing you know this massive cut in your arm seeing, seeing all that stuff so yeah it was it wasn't a pretty sight and just looking back on it it was uh it was just you know a freak accident and you know now it's just a, a nice a nice little scar in my arm Overall, you played 28 games this year, but how many games did you actually miss uh, during uh, your recovery from that? Well, I I missed from December 3rd to I think it was February 27th. Wow. So I, I'm not I'm not too sure, but I think it was 30 30 some games, and I missed the entire uh, U.S. road road swing there. So yeah, it was pretty disappointing because I I never got to play in 
snow and and down the state. So yeah, it was pretty unfortunate. Oh, that is terrible. Uh, uh, now, when you come back, how long does it take for you to kind of feel back up to speed? Because I don't imagine you jump in right away and feel a hundred percent. So, uh, did it take a little time to get uh, comfortable again? Yeah, it definitely took quite a bit. It was a six week, a six week, uh, just no no exercising. Let let the muscle, let the arm heal, and then a six week rehab, which was pretty tough. Just getting work done on it and all of my exercises, but also being in the gym and, you know, that, the bikes in the gym that I was on at 24 seven and, you know, with the weights. So yeah, it was, it was pretty tough, but I think, you know, I took my time and I, uh, when I came back, you know, I didn't feel hundred percent. Well, of course I felt hundred percent uh, with my arm, but, you know, just coming back and getting all those bag skates in. And <laughs> so it was, it was quite a process, but, um, Honestly, it was just kind of, you know, I think a, a character builder as well, just looking to the future, you know, future injuries, if anything was to come my way, I, you know, I'm, I'm more prepared for it. Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, isn't that the saying? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, well, take me back, at, you know, at the start of the season, obviously it was a big one because it's your draft year. What were your expectations going in, or, or are you a guy who sets, like, statistical goals for yourself? Or, you know, what did you want to accomplish along the way this year? We know probably didn't get to check off most of those boxes because of the injury and, and the shortened season, but what were you looking to, to do this season coming in? Well, I think my number one goal was, you know, to make the playoffs with the team. I know we were going to be young, you know, we're going to be the strongest, but and of course that, you know, we didn't end up making the playoffs, but I think the other one is getting drafted to the NHL and, you know, getting, you know, that process of going to the combine and everything like that. And, um, of course, you know, that didn't happen, but, uh, as well as the, the cherry or game, um, that, that happened right before. So I didn't get to play in that. And I was really disappointed not to get to that. Um, just, you know, watching it and, you know, being able to actually play and it would be pretty special. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's you know just an overall really disappointing season with everything. But um, you know at the end of the day, it's just it's just a game, and you know I'm just trying to get better. And I, you know eventually I just want to you know be a pro someday. Damon Hunt of the Moose Jaw Warriors, my guest. Uh, Damon, what we do in this part of the show is introduce our audience to somebody that's draft eligible, like you are. And uh, there'll be people hearing this who are only NHL fans and they don't watch the dub or or junior or college hockey at all. And um, uh, but they're maybe their favorite team drafts you and they're listening to this after the draft and they want to get to know their their new players. Yeah. So for people like that, uh, let's get some background. Uh, where are you from? Well, I actually grew up in Moose in Saskatchewan, small town, right along the Saskatchewan Manitoba border. And then when I was, uh, I think second year PE, I moved to Brandon, Manitoba. All right. You're a defenseman, but have you always been a defenseman, or did you try other positions uh, along the way? I've pretty much always been a defenseman. I, when I was younger, I kind of wanted to be a forward. I just like being part of the play a bit more. And um, my dad was a defenseman too, so I kind of just kind of stuck, and I knew that I was best at that. Okay, uh, I know you in uh, in uh, Bantam. You you put up some big numbers along the way at the WHL level. That hasn't necessarily translated into being a big offensive minded defenseman but do you see that part of your game still maybe evolving is there maybe untapped uh, offensive potential so far for you yeah yeah i had i had a good year in the band here um i think when i was 16 i also had a really good year and you know you know this season with everything that happened i wasn't too happy with my numbers and you know the way i played and everything that turned out but um i think you know 
what makes me a really good hockey player is my defensive part of my game being solid and shutting down the top line. But, you know, what, what carries my game is my, my skill and my offensive ability. Hmm. Um, I think, you know, over time, it'll just kind of develop and I'll, I'll be able to, you know, put up some more numbers and, um, yeah, I'll just be, uh, be a threat, uh, all over the ice. Well, take me back to the Bantam draft in 2017. You're the 15th overall player taken. Uh, I've spoken with a number of guys from that draft class. A lot of them were in Philadelphia playing in a tournament. Uh, I don't know if you were part of that team or not. What was draft day like for you? Yeah, I was actually at hockey team Manitoba tryouts in okay. Winnipeg and they took away our phones. <laughs> so I, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, as a Brandon boy, I was kind of expecting to, you know, maybe go to Brandon. They were picking right where I was kind of supposed to go. And I, I found out by one of my teammates and he just told me. So it was kind of, you know, just a kind of a shocker. I went 15 to Moose Shaw and I didn't talk to Moose Shaw a bunch before the draft. And so, you know, but honestly, I, I love Moose Shaw. Um, it's such a hockey town. Everyone supports you. And, uh, you kind of like uh, a celebrity here because you know everything's so small and it's uh, it's pretty great. When you get to your first uh, camp and uh, Coach Hunter, Tim Hunter is uh, the guy. Can be an intimidating guy. He's a big, strong guy. Obviously, we know what he was like as an NHLer. Was it intimidating for you when you first got to camp? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think Tim's uh, he's a pretty intimidating guy. He's pretty big and you know he's he's pretty bold with his personality. But you know, honestly, as, as the years went by. Um, I loved him. Um, he he had lots of respect for me, and I had respect for him. So our bond was really good, and uh, I liked the the way he coached. And you know, as well with our new coach Mark Leary, he's he's great. He's been there for so many years, so he definitely you know he deserved it for where he should be right now. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of excited for you know the next couple of years with Mark. That's where I was going to go next. Was with the coaching change. Uh, was there a big difference from you know one coaching staff to to another? I guess Mark, as you said, had been there. So was that transition maybe a little smoother? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the guys, um, you know, they're all kind of shocked. It happened in you know a day. All of a sudden, we get a new coach. So yeah, it wasn't easy on us. But uh, with Mark, you know, he's kind of more of a you know the new style coach. He's he younger and. He, you know, he he understands the game really well. So, um, yeah, and we all love him. We love his personality. So it wasn't too hard, but you know, just you know, because we're so used to Tim and his style, it, it was definitely a little bit of a of an adjustment. Now, Damon, specifically about the draft, has that been something that over the course of the season was on your mind much? I mean, I talked to a lot of players, and some will say they try not to think about it. Other guys think about it a lot. They go and see where they're ranked and and things like that. What was it like for you? And I, maybe it was different when you were playing compared to when you were on the shelf and, and couldn't play. Uh, I don't know uh, what mm-hmm. your thoughts were on the draft over the course of the season. Yeah, honestly, I wasn't too worried about the draft. Um, of course, knowing those rankings come out, you know, I always, you know, just take a peek at them and just to, you know, see what's going on. But um, I was just, you know, worried about my team and, you know, the, the only thing that can control, um, you know, my game is myself. So, you know, I think I just have to worry about my game and elevating every, elevating it every game. And um, but uh, you know, with the injury and you know, I can even control you know the way those rankings would go because I only played you know twenty some games. So, um, but honestly, everything you know, it should fall into place. And you know, it's not really a matter of how high I go, it's just where I go, and you know, the right team and whoever wants me the most. So, 
you know, I'll be really humbled and honored to, you know, to go who, whoever picks me. Did you have a favorite team growing up? I did, yeah. I, I was a Calgary Flames fan. Uh, and then as I got a bit older, when the Jets came into things, I, uh, I, I'm a Winnipeg fan. Okay, perfect. Uh, and any yeah. uh, particular NHL guys that you kind of look towards and say, you know, maybe I can play a role similar to that guy? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's hard to look at an NHL guy and say, well, I'm going to be like that guy because that's lofty, lofty goals. But is there somebody you know maybe yeah. pattern yourself after sort of? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with Marquez Blackett on San Jose. Yeah, he's a sweet, sweet guy. And, um, from what I've been told and what I've seen, think we're really similar. Um, just just the way we play, and um, he's a Euro, but uh, I just like the way he plays, and that's when I go South ever and go make the National Hockey League. I think that's my style. You know, I'll have to play. Excellent, Damon. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this. Good luck. Uh, with whatever happens at the draft, and I'm sure when uh, the Warriors come through Edmonton next year, we'll uh, be able to say hello again. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Damon Hunt of the Moose Jaw Warriors. That was a scary incident in Edmonton. We just saw him. We weren't even sure which player it was because it happened so quickly. Right in front of Moose Jaw's bench, a player gets up, darts down the hallway, clutching his arm. We're like, okay, that was scary. Obviously, he's hurt. Didn't know who it was. It took you know three or four shifts, really, to figure out, okay, he's not back on the ice. We haven't seen him. And you look, and uh, Brian Cheeseman's gone from the uh, Oil Kings bench, uh, and now we know everything that was happening. And, man, just a scary, scary situation. Uh, glad that he was able to come back at the end of the year. Uh, and really unfortunate, obviously, for a guy like that who had missed so much time. His team wasn't going to the playoffs. He'd been at the U18s the previous year as an underage player, so you'd think, man, how key he was going to be for Canada at the U18s this year, and how big of an event showcase that would have been for him, and then that doesn't happen either. So uh, just a just an, an awful season, really, for Damon Hunt uh, because of all the, the time he missed. And uh, and you wonder, at least my thought was, maybe this is a guy who's really under the radar, but he still ranked really high second round of one of the, one of the what, I think about three or four defensemen in the dub, maybe higher than him with Brendan Gooley and, and Braden Schneider. Uh, and then he's right in that next group. So out of sight, but not out of mind uh, for scouts. Watch for him on draft day. That does it for this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Just the two guests and a very long uh, opening segment where you heard from Jill Corteau and, and David Branch and uh, Kim Davis and, and all of my thoughts uh, this week, at least, on uh, the, the whole hazing issue. A uh, quick thank you again to everybody who signed up to be a patron. Can't do the show without your support, so I really, really appreciate uh, those who have signed up to be a patron. If you're interested in getting uh, early access to all these interviews, uh, check it out, patreon.com slash thepipelineshow uh, for more. My, the link is also in my uh, Twitter bio, at TPS underscore Gee. Uh, next week on the show, uh, a few irons in the fire, but no confirmed guests at the moment. Uh, this time of year, it's, it's, been, it's been tough, actually, the last few weeks to get guests. Uh, there's a, the newsworthy uh, players would be the guys who are draft eligible. Well, they're doing a ton of interviews right now with NHL teams, uh, so they're a bit burnt out, some of them. Uh, I've reached out to, uh, there are CHL teams and, and college teams who really aren't operating right now. Uh, so I've been going through agents more often than not, and sometimes it's hard to track down which agent is representing which player. Uh, but some of those, I'm, I'm being told, yeah, my guy's just got a lot on his plate right now. He needs a break. Um, so it's been a bit difficult to uh, line up a full slate of guests. 
Uh, but lots of irons in the fire. Hopefully we'll be able to get some more uh, guys on the show next week. And if there's more developments in all the uh, the lawsuit situation, uh, we'll talk about that as well. Remember to be kind, treat each other with uh, respect and dignity, and uh, seeing so many of these news reports, uh, people still refusing to wear masks and freaking out when they're being asked to wear a mask in public places. Uh, I don't care what your political affiliation is, but uh, we're all in this together. And the sooner we get our act together, the sooner uh, we can put this whole pandemic behind us. In the meantime, everybody's stressed out, so do what you can to be a good neighbor and a, a good citizen and uh, not add to the mess. Treat each other with kindness. And I'll talk to you next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, see ya!